You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that ad. So, had a podcast all queued up and ready to go yesterday, and um, let's just say I'm going to go in a different direction with it. Um, I want to start off today just getting a real good picture of where we're at. Right, let's just look at some numbers. I know that the 2020 Packers are a unique team, but it doesn't hurt to kind of get a little bit of a um a little bit of context. Historic context as well as just again, looking at Vegas, which I like to do because I got a lot of money on the line and just say, "All right, man, what 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 what's the deal? What are we doing here?" So let's just start with this week. Um first of all, Green Bay Packers, Dallas Cowboys, not exactly where we thought we'd be. The Dallas Cowboys are five-point favorites. And once again, i got to be completely honest, I am kind of stunned that we are getting as much respect as we are. You're starting to get the feeling, although it's starting to become comical at the same time, but you're starting to get the feeling that Vegas is just expecting a turnaround. Either that, or they're just trying to pull in money. But I don't exactly know. I keep hearing people talk about that. You set a number so that you try to get a bunch of people. Why don't you pick the right number, though? Because if you bait me into picking Dallas, and I do, and Dallas covers, then you lose money, right? Or is it that people are still really too optimistic on the Packers, so you set the line at kind of a ridiculous number, knowing that a bunch of Packer fans are still going to pick Green Bay and they're going to lose their shirt? I don't know. But anyways, that, that's, that's where we're starting. So at this point in the season, we are five-point underdogs going up against the Dallas Cowboys. If we look out a little bit, uh, the Green Bay Packers, as of right now, are said to have a 5% chance of making the playoffs. 5%. They have the sixth worst odds in the NFL. Only the Raiders, Panthers, Lions, Steelers, and Texans have a lower percentage. We're actually tied with the Colts. However, the Colts have a 3% chance of winning the division. We have a 0.6% chance of winning the division. Our odds of getting a first-round buy are less than 1%. About half the league is less than 1% because you got teams like the Eagles uh, that are, especially in the NFC, they're, they're sucking up 67%. But um, the majority of the league has almost no chance. And then odds to win the Super Bowl, 
Um, 0.1% chance. 0.1%. This is uh, 538 I'm using. On 538, they actually have the Cowboys at minus 7 and are giving us a 27% chance of winning this game. They're giving the the Broncos a better chance of beating the Titans than we are beating the Cowboys. Looking ahead right now, the Green Bay Packers are only one point. I'm putting money on that right now. (laughs) They're only one point underdogs against the Tennessee Titans. On Thursday night football, team that went on a uh, five-game winning streak before losing by three points to the uh, Kansas City Chiefs that hasn't given up more than 20 points in the last five weeks, six if you include the bye. In fact, they've only given up one game more than 22 points, and that was Buffalo 41, which is probably the only reason why they're not like a top three defense, because Buffalo rocked their world. But anyways, we don't need to delve too much into that right now. I just, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm eventually this is like a I feel like I'm being uh being suckered here like they're just going to keep bet, baiting me to bet against the Packers and I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to keep upping the upping the ante and eventually the Packers are going to pull one out and be like well it was fun while it lasted just don't get how it's like even with the Titans right now doesn't even make sense yes place bet please thank you very much thank you for your business one point basically a push dude I guess because Thursdays are weird, you never really know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I will happily be wrong on that one, I guess. I don't know what else to say. Anyways, um, continuing on of just kind of stepping back and getting an overview. Let's, uh, let's start with this. How many teams have started off three and six and um, gone on to have a winning season? It's not the most uncommon thing in the world, although it is rare. Uh, Philadelphia remains the main example for us to look at in 2021. They started off three and six, went on to beat the Broncos, beat the Saints, lose to the Giants, beat the Jets, beat the beat Washington, the Giants, Washington all over again, and then lose to Dallas. Now, obviously, some things kind of stand out here. For example, playing the uh, playing Washington twice, the Giants twice, and the Jets once. Granted, they did lose once to the Giants. That was their one of their only losses. But considering how bad those teams were last year, the uh, the Jets at that point, the first time they played them, were three and nine. Washington was six and eight. The second time they played them, they were six and ten. Dallas was the only team with a winning record. They were twelve and five and went on to uh, or eleven and five, I guess, and went on to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. But it happened in Philly, and they ended nine and eight. Also, they snuck into the playoffs and then got absolutely destroyed by Tampa 31 to 15. And again, if you listen to Packernet after dark last night, you heard I think it was Nate, not I don't remember exactly, but somebody called in and said this is what I don't want. I don't want to go on a winning streak and then pick 13th overall and end the season um 9 and 8. However, in contrast to the idea of quote unquote tanking. Number 1, look at how good the Eagles are right now. And they didn't do it because they got a number one overall pick. I don't know that ending strong, um, probably putting the cart before the horse to say that ending strong is the, uh, is the thing that fired them up to win. I think they're similar to the Packers where you could kind of tell by the end of the season what this team really was. And I think that's somewhat true for Philadelphia. Now, that still is an argument for wanting the team to improve. But I do think that there's a difference. 
I think Philadelphia was was building on younger talent, specifically their quarterback. And again, they also beat up on a bunch of really weak teams. But they had a, a reason to be excited about growth, and that was they had a really young quarterback, and they didn't know if that was the guy or not. You see, because they had a really young guy that was not playing very well at quarterback, and then as he got better, he started to improve, and the team started to win, and now they come into this year, and they look really, really good. Now, there's other things, but those things were always in, in place. For example, the offensive line, the running ability, that was always there. And then they went out and added, for example, A.J. Brown, which is an incredible addition. Additionally, well, I, I guess it depends what side of this we're even on right now, because we're jumping back and forth a lot, but... Um, that would be why we don't necessarily match up, but, but also in addition to you know, why tanking isn't necessarily the best thing, they ended up drafting Jordan Davis, who's playing really, really well. Now, maybe they could have had Drake London or something, but again, they don't need him because AJ Brown seems to be doing better than Drake London is. You got Evan Neal and Akema Kwanu, who I don't think are necessarily doing all that well. Now, you could say if they picked fifth overall, Kayvon Thibodeau would have been a better option. Sauce Gardner at number four. As a rookie, one of the better corners in all of football, you'd probably rather have Sauce than Jordan Davis. But it's the draft is never really a slam dunk. I think your odds are much better when you get up toward the top. And we don't know how these things are going to shake out. Jordan Davis might be a trash football player, and Akema Kwanu is going to be the premier uh, tackle in the NFL. I know last time I checked, he was really, really, really struggling, but just providing a little context there. So not impossible that we have a winning season. Unlikely, it's happened once since 20, well, 2018. And again, I, I think it's not only a different situation, but it also says different things. The Eagles needed to see something from their quarterback in order to have hope. I don't know that we necessarily do, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, Nothing wrong with getting right and getting motivated and getting excited and feeling like we're a good team going into next year. But we're not waiting on a quarterback to evolve and then we see it and it's like, ah, this is it. This is how you know. All the talent we have, we already have, whether they can get it figured out or not. We're not waiting for Jair or Kenny or Rashawn to emerge. We need someone to get them playing better. And again, what we're talking about is, is primarily for next year. Because remember, what I'm saying is, is it important that in order to have success in 2023 that we end the season in 2022 on the right note? I don't know the answer, but I don't think the answer is yes. Whereas I think for the Eagles, it might have been. If anything, though, again, kind of pointing to we need to see what the young guys can do, and yes, that means Jordan Love as well. Now, again, he, it's unfair because he has not had the amount of time to play quarterback, as Jalen Hurts has had. But I guess either way, I, I could understand the argument in terms of I don't want to get better. Number one, again, I don't think that Philadelphia's success in 2022 has to do with just generally getting better by the end of the year. I think that pointed to something specific. Number two, obviously, there was no benefit to winning nine games and getting embarrassed in the playoffs, other than you get to watch one more game of football. And I do think you lost out on some talent. Now, there's no, no, maybe they would have taken Jordan Davis earlier. Maybe they would have taken somebody terrible earlier. I, I don't know. But I, I guess what I'm trying to do is I, I want us to have, regardless of what our position is, make sure it's a good position based on something that makes sense. 
What I don't want is I don't care if it hurts the future. I want to win because I'm a Packer fan and I always want the Packers to win. That's one I personally can't get behind. You can do it. I that's fine. I'm I think that is a bad thing. Well, I mean it's definitionally a bad thing for the team. You're kind of conceding that. <laughs> and I don't want bad things for the team overall. Um, last time it happened, 2017 Chargers, or time before that. Again, they were a 9-7 and team. This time they did not get into the playoffs. That, that's the other thing to consider is 9-7 is and seven or 9-8. and What would it be now? 9-8? and eight? Is that going to be enough to get us in? The other question is, how do we even get there? Um, if we win every winnable game, and let's just say teams that are moderate to bad, um, so we'd lose to Dallas... Uh, probably lose to the Titans, lose to the Eagles. We, if we win out against the Bears, bye week, uh, the Rams, the Dolphins, the Vikings. Come on, click Vikings. There we go. And the Lions. Um, that puts us at eight wins. So we'd pretty much have to completely win out. Um, and you could say, well, we could certainly beat one of these. Not so easy to beat teams, that's true, but we could also very easily drop one to, you know, um, the Bears. I mean, literally every one of these teams. The Rams, the Dolphins, the Vikings, obviously. Uh, That, honestly, if we're being honest, should be in the other category of not very winnable games, which would put us at 7-10. and But again, even if we win out after this tough stretch, I can't get us to 9 wins. I can't even get us even with the Vikings. And what I mean by that is I can't get us even with the Vikings as the Vikings are today. They already have eight wins. <laughs> I don't, I'm struggling to get us to eight for the season. So I, I, I really think that's where my hangup is. I tend to lean toward, um, let's try to get more capital. And bear in mind, we also have more trade capital. If you have a, let's say, number four overall pick compared to a number 13 overall pick, and let's just say there's a, let's say a guy like Lamar's out there. I haven't been the biggest fan of Lamar in the entire world, but I don't think it's a terrible option. Because if we're asking the question about a guy that, uh, let's say, can do kind of more or less basic stuff, if we really, really simplify it for him, right? We're, we're similar to the Ravens. We're going to be a run-heavy team, not as heavy as the Ravens, but a run-heavy team that tries to support the quarterback with the offensive line play action passes, and we're going to try to simplify things, and I just need you to find the open guy. And then on top of that, you can also run around a little bit. If you are into that kind of thing, if you're dealing with a top five pick, I'm not saying you get him for a top five pick. It's going to take more than that. But if you have a 13-14, it just carries a lot less weight. Or even if you're not looking at a quarterback. I mean, if you have a, a second round pick that is at the top of the second as opposed to the back of the second, it carries a borderline first-round pick value or, you know, back-of-the-first-round pick value. So it's not just the pick. It's, it, it just, it's just overall value is what it is. Even if you do it, well, it's not that big of a deal picking 13 or 5. All right, fine. Then when you get to 5, you trade back. Because, again, it's just value. And if you're saying that a top-five pick isn't worth it because the value of the player doesn't match the value of the pick, then trade away the pick. Because the, the pick itself does carry a lot of value. And a lot of stats people will tell you that trading back is always the right thing to do because it's teams value the picks more than they should. They, they value the difference in pick more than they should. 
meaning you're going to more than likely get more value by trading back from 5 to 13 than you would get from staying and picking in the value of that player. Trying to get this stupid thing to work so I can find some examples. So here's an example, and and it's one that worked in the favor of the Miami Dolphins for sure. Dolphins held the number three overall pick. San Francisco 49ers wanted Trey Lance real bad. So what did they do? They traded the 12th pick, the 29th pick, and a third round pick, plus a 2023 first round pick, which at the time, so it would be, if we had the third overall pick and somebody wanted to move up and you're like, it's not, a mid-round pick ain't that bad, you can get turn that into essentially three first round picks and a third. You see what I mean by value? So saying a, a number three and a number 12 doesn't make a difference. Of course it does. Because the number three is the equi- if if you don't want the number three, if there's nobody there that you want, there's a quarterback or whatever it is, if you trade back, you can get turn that into essentially three first round picks. That's the difference. The trade up for Sam Darnold, by the way, never trade up to the third overall pick for for a quarterback. Apparently, Jets traded up to the third overall pick for Sam Darnold. They gave away the sixth overall pick, so they only moved back three spots. You know what they got in addition? Three second round picks just by moving back three spots. Imagine that. I'm just trying to get, get the people that are on board excited with me and, and maybe starting to see why we get excited a little bit. Well, who cares about one stupid pick? All right, fine, trade back. That would be like if we had the number three pick this year. We could have traded back and still had one of the top receivers because remember, we really wanted a receiver, but we couldn't quite get him. Well, Drake London was sitting there at eight. Yeah, Wilson at 10, Olave at 11, Jamison at 12. If you didn't want a wide receiver, again, you got a Kemaquanu and Evan Neal and Charles Cross at offensive tackle. But then beyond that, the real steal of this particular trade is the three second-round picks. We already had two, so that would have turned it into five, but but we can leave that alone. And of course, there's the Mitch Trubisky trade. If you got the number two overall pick, you can move back one spot, get the guy that you wanted all along in addition to a third, a fourth, and another third. The trade for Carson Wentz, the Philadelphia Eagles, they move back um, from the second overall pick to the eighth overall pick. They picked up a third round pick, a fourth round pick, a next year's first round pick, and a year after that second round pick. How about Sammy Watkins? Buffalo Bills traded up to four to get Sammy from nine. Cleveland got pick nine. They got pick 19. And then they got uh, a fourth round pick as a kicker. So again, you can stay inside the top 10 and get a top 20 pick on top of it. So it is a lot of value. And And the point is, if you look at it in reverse, this is what we're forfeiting to win. So what I'm asking is, are we sure 100% that if we go on a win streak that that's going to have value that outweighs? Because again, you can, you can do the math on this. I don't even need these particular trades. We can look at a trade value chart. A, the difference between a 15 overall pick and the fifth overall pick is a first round pick. Or you look at the Mark Sanchez trade. What went in the Mark Sanchez trade? They moved back from 5 to 17, but got a second-round pick and three players. It's a lot of value that we're leaving on the table so that we can win seven, eight, nine games, miss the playoffs, and feel like crap about it. Are you positive, 100,000% positive, that leaving all that value on the table is worth it? And I don't know that we're going to trade back. I, I have no idea. But the reason that you want to trade back is because of the quality of the players anyways. Again, so, so okay, if we don't trade back, do you want to leave Sauce Gardner on the table? It's all just risk-reward in my mind, and, and right now there's very little reward moving forward. Anyways, uh, I want to continue on with this a little bit. So 
once since 2018 a team has had a winning record. Three times since 2010. 2012 Washington Redskins, 2017 Chargers, 2021 Eagles. Five times since 2000. You had Buffalo and Miami in 2004 and 2005. Only 24 times in NFL history has a team with this record going on to have a winning record. Only eight times in NFL history has one of those teams made it to the playoffs. Obviously, the Eagles, you had the 2014 Panthers, 2012 Washington, uh, whatever their name was at the time. Then you got to go back to 96, 95, 94, 1970, and then 1949 were the last teams to do it. Of those, how many won a playoff game? Well, the 1949 Buffalo Bills lost 31-21 to to the Cleveland Browns. The uh, 1970 Cincinnati Bengals lost 17-0 to to the Baltimore Colts. The 1994 New England Patriots, uh, who had a 10-6 record, lost to the Cleveland Browns 20-13. The 1995 Detroit Lions, who ended 10-6, lost 58-37 against the Philadelphia Eagles. 2012 Washington Redskins, 10-6, lost 24-14 to the Seattle Seahawks. And as I mentioned, the 2021 Eagles lost 31-15 to Tampa Bay. The only two teams to win a playoff game with the record that we have is the 2014 Ron Rivera Panthers, who went 7-8-1, beat Arizona 27-16, and then lost to Seattle 31-17. But the 1996 uh, Tom Coughlin, 9-7 Jacksonville Jaguars would be the biggest beneficiaries of, uh, I guess, going for it, assuming you just want to rack up wins. Um, got in at 9-7, and seven, beat Buffalo in Buffalo 30-27, beat Denver in Denver 30-27, then went to the conference championship with the New England Patriots and got beat 20-6. So no Super Bowl appearances. One team got... Uh, to the door. But we're talking two teams in NFL history have uh, won a playoff game with the start that we're having, at least insofar as the record is concerned. What if you look at point differential? Um, we're currently sitting at negative 34. So if you look at teams that uh, at this point in the season are somewhere between negative 30 and negative 40, 14 of those teams went on to have a winning season. Now, to be clear, only um, two of these teams had three or less wins. So a lot of these guys already had kind of a head start. But 14 teams had winning records with this bad of a point differential this far into the season. 11 of those teams went to the playoffs. Most recent, 2020 Washington. Before that, 2010 Seattle. 2006 Jets and then uh, 2005 New England before you have to drop to 1995. And then two of the teams with any success, you have the uh, 1970 Cowboys and the 1979 uh, Los Angeles Rams who made it to the Super Bowl and lost. So if you go back to the 70s, but again, uh, these are teams that generally had better records than us. They were just getting whooped up on real bad during the season. And just to be clear, because it kind of sounds like, oh, it looks like there's some examples. Teams with losing records, with this start so far, 292 examples. Teams that have three wins through nine games, 292 times they ended up having losing records compared to, what did I say, 24? And that's just winning and losing record. 
So, anyways, that's kind of the where we're at. I know most people don't need a sales pitch on the fact that we're not a good football team and probably aren't going to succeed, but just want to make sure we're understanding where we're at. And again, if if even if we thought that there was maybe a chance, despite the fact that we're going through our rough patch starting now, um, the injuries really should have drove a nail in the coffin. So I'm not positive where everybody's at. It seems to me as though everybody's kind of on the same page. Most of the fighting and bickering is just about how you're supposed to handle it. Plenty of uh, purity tests going on. If you were a true fan, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, whatever. Anyways, leave it at that for now. Take a break. Come back on the other side. Take a look at a few other things that are going on. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. FertileGroundRanch.org. Please, uh, if you wouldn't mind checking them out, seeing what's going on. Um, See if maybe you'd be interested in supporting them. That'd be greatly appreciated. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Let's start off with uh, a look at some of the problems with the team. Um, One of the big ones right now, which is injuries. This is um, Ian Rappaport kind of giving the latest, at least as far as as I know, um, on the Packers injury front. Well, let's talk through some Packers injuries. Some bad, but some not so bad. And maybe not so bad in ways we weren't expecting. Aaron Jones left last week's game uh, with an ankle injury. was in a boot after the game and... Uh, x-rays were inconclusive which I took to meaning was really not good at all turns out not bad at all this was a situation where he just did not really suffer a major injury had some additional testing uh, later on Monday he should be fine the belief is that he should be good to go this week good news there not so good for Romeo Dobbs one of their young promising receivers he suffered a high ankle sprain those are generally four to six weeks in week injuries 
Now, a lot of times a player like that is uh, placed on injured reserve. That obviously is a possibility for the Green Bay Packers. We'll see, though, if that is another young receiver injury they can overcome. And then Christian Watson seemed on Sunday to suffer another concussion, was knocked out and, and uh, because of being checked for a concussion. But as Coach Matt LaFleur said earlier this week, it actually was not a concussion. It got hit in the chest. He lost his breath. It was mostly precautionary, and he cleared everything he needed to do to return to the game on Sunday. But it's just, as LaFleur said, the world we live in. So the belief is that Christian Watson should end up being fine. So as he said, kind of good news, bad news there. Um, Obviously, no matter what, you want the best for the guys. You never want anybody to get hurt, get setbacks, whatever. Um, Great news for Aaron Jones. Um, The guy is just an absolute workhorse. He's a machine. He was in a boot, and now he's now he's back and ready to go. Romeo, we kind of already knew that situation, high ankle sprain out, I think he said four to six. Which, again, when you look at the situation we're in, um, that kind of, I guess, depends how you look at it. right? If, you, if you're hopeful that we're going to kind of steal a few in the next couple of weeks against this tough stretch, that's probably not great. If you're looking at a bounce back, where we maybe steal some at the end of the season, win some of these games, you know, come back and uh, I don't know the exact timeline here, but all I know is I want to beat the Bears. I that might be too soon for a return, but that's that's the only game that I'm circling, saying I don't I I will happily give up a draft pick to beat the Bears because I just hate them. And yes, that makes me a bad fan. I'll I'll own that one. I also would rather not lose to the Vikings, but eh, if if we're only going to win one game this season, it's not even close. I'm not saying we're only going to win one. Relax. We'll win probably more than one. I'm just saying, if it was one, give me the Bears. Um, the Watson one is, is a little bit, I mean, it's great news, but it's also upsetting for a lot of reasons. I'm upset that they didn't allow him to come back in. Um, I mean, I, I understand precautionary to some extent, but precautionary for what? I mean, we, we've seen guys all the time. They get pulled off the field because it seems like they may have had a concussion and they check them out and it turns out they didn't. Now, maybe it's because I believe he, he, just the week before he had a concussion, right? So you really worry about back-to-back. So maybe they just said, we're not even going to risk it. He's not going out on the field because if it turns out he did get some kind of a head injury and he goes back out there and then it, you know, we have another scene of a guy laid out getting taken to the hospital, this is going to be disastrous. But it's still upsetting because you can tell Christian didn't want to even come off the field. I mean, he was hurt, but he, he wanted to go back and they forced him off. And there was even a, a, a scene on, on that clip that they showed. I don't know. I don't know when all these things took place, but he's trying to get on the field. And so it seems obvious to me that Watson is saying, you know, yeah, I got the wind knocked out of me. I got jacked up pretty good, but I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. Like it wasn't my head. It was nothing like that. I mean, th- this guy, he needs time. And, and on top of that, it just... It, it's not a good look that he's handled the ball twice and got injured twice. Now, what would have happened, though, if he came out for a play and went back in and we heard that he just got the wind knocked out? Nobody would be even talking about injury-prone or glass or anything like that. Not that, obviously, neck or head injuries have anything to do with that, but it still just kind of gives you a bad feeling of, oh, shoot, he's going to get hurt now. And it would have been better to just not have that be an issue. But uh, a quote here also, this is, this is what Matt LaFleur had to say. Uh, he says, this was all precautionary. I think that's kind of the times that we live in right now. But it was 100% ruled that it was not a concussion. Matter of fact, he was dying to go back into the game, and we thought it was best to shut him down because of what transpired in Buffalo. But to his credit, he was adamant, and he cleared everything. 
Um, obviously, the two uh, injuries that were not mentioned here because weren't obviously three devastating injuries isn't enough. Rashawn Gary out for the season. Matt Lafleur says it's a tremendous loss. He is one of the grittiest guys that is on this team, and just the effort that he brings on a daily basis is definitely going to be missed. Other guys around on that defense and on our team are going to have to pick it up because it's hard to replace a guy like that. This guy just battles. He's the ultimate competitor. Um, brutal for a million reasons. Um, I mean, he's he's due a big contract. Now, I'm not saying he's not going to get paid as a result, but this may put the brakes on it. I mean, if he could come in, continued what he was doing, have a double-digit sack season, continue to dominate and wreck everybody, I mean, he, he's just going to get that contract. It's a done deal. Packers will will pay him sometime next year probably, um, and he'll be, at least for about five minutes, probably the top-paid pass rusher before somebody, Brian Burns or Bosa or somebody, ends up taking overtaking him in that. But I don't know exactly the course here, especially if he's not going to be back until mid-next season. That's going to be kind of the issue. Uh, and I, I don't know the implications with the uh, his contract and injuries and all that kind of stuff, not finishing the season, not starting it next year. I don't know if there are any or if it's just as usual. I will say, if there are positives, number one, Rashawn Gary being the guy that he is, the worker that he is, the grinder that he is, being, by the way, on top of everything, a complete physical specimen, um, whatever the earlier part of the timeline is to return from ACL is when I would expect him to be back. Um, I don't, I, 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 so, I mean, you can't control everything. I'm not saying if, if it takes a long time to come back, it's because you're a loser and you're lazy. Um, you know, Bakhtiari, for example, is obviously a guy doing everything he needs to do. It's just, his knees just jacked up. That's all there is to it. And, and, you know, that's just the reality, but still, I mean, he's, he's going to do 110% to make sure he gets back. The other positive in a somewhat negative environment is we're going to see more Kingsley and Igbari. Um, He's going to become a prominent pass rusher for us. Now, I'm not necessarily, again, this is very similar to the Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love conversation. I'm not saying I think Kingsley's better than um, Rashawn. In fact, I know for a fact he isn't. But it's still going to be beneficial for him to get as much opportunity as possible, to get as much as many reps as possible. I mean, he, he's, he's essentially the number two guy right now. And so he's going to get that sort of number one treatment, you know, where you start uh, preparing using him, he starts getting the most reps, he starts getting the most attention in, in the meeting rooms and with the coaches, uh, a lot more scrutiny gets paid to him, and you start trying to utilize his strengths um, because you have to, you know? So yeah, we're going to take a step back, but it, it gives us an opportunity to kind of upgrade a little bit. The other injury, Eric Stokes. Apparently Eric Stokes has a knee and ankle injuries. This was the injury that... Um, I still have not seen. Apparently, it was not televised because of the uh, brutality of it. I don't know if anybody has it anywhere, if it was like one of those things where... I'm guessing if it was, we would have seen it, where it happened on camera and they just didn't replay it, or if it happened off camera and they're not going to let anybody see it. I don't know, but I'm, I don't want to see it, I'm just saying. It was uh, apparently pretty bad. The uh, Matt LaFleur, again, talked about this as well. He did not rule out season-ending, but he did not say that it was season-ending. Um, I'm a little surprised we haven't heard at this point. You would think with things being seemingly bad as they are, that they would know and be able to move forward with the information. But, uh, perhaps, perhaps there's a, a glimmer of hope, but my assumption is it's one of those things where 
they're going to run a few more tests to see if maybe there's a chance that he could come back late season kind of thing. It's the only thing I could think. I, I don't know. There also was an injury to Chris Barnes. Uh, I don't know the status of Barnes, but apparently he was also being evaluated for a concussion. So um, that's, uh, that's about all I got, folks, on the injury front. I don't know a ton about the Dallas Cowboys and their injury situation. That injury report will be coming out uh, later today, but I don't personally have it right now. I do know Ezekiel Elliott uh, is banged up, but I believe it sounds like he's going to play. He's just going to wear a knee brace when he does. Also, he's like their second best running back, so it's not that big of a deal. But as that news comes out, I will kind of uh, keep you up to date on it. Speaking of the Cowboys, why don't we take our first cursory look at the Dallas Cowboys? As you know, Dallas is one of the uh, NFC teams that's kind of hanging on, kind of making a case for themselves. The Mike McCarthy Green... Oh, boy. That's sad. The Mike McCarthy Dallas Cowboys are 6-2. and two. Uh, That's after losing Week 1 to Tampa, which at this point you kind of look at and assume that that's somewhat of a fluke. I'm guessing 9 times out of 10, if it's not Week 1 or whatever, they're going to beat Tampa Bay. So you could almost look at this and say their only loss this season came to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, they beat Cincinnati 20-17, to the Giants 23-16, Washington 25-10, the Rams 22 to 10, Philadelphia uh, was 17-26, they lost. Detroit 24-6 and then the Bears 49 to 29. So one of the things you may have noticed is that the first time this team allowed even 20 points was week 6 against the Eagles. Not exactly a powerhouse on offense, although they did play Chicago. By the way, it's worth noting um the last time they played was Chicago those 2 weeks ago because last week was their bye. So as far as injuries and everything else, we're banged up. They're rested. Uh, <laughs> so you got Dallas. Not only are they rested, but you got Mike McCarthy with an extra week to study the team that he already knows pretty well. So that's great. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, you know, at least the key pieces. But as of right now, 14th ranked offense, third ranked defense. One of the things that I think is kind of a fun, quick and easy way to look at this matchup just in terms of if you want to come up with a real quick score prediction, at least this is more or less what I do, uh, Football Outsiders provides you with uh, DVOA. And DVOA is, very simply put, um, how much better are you as a percentage than a average team? So, for example, Dallas Cowboys, number one rated defense when you look at weighted DVOA. They are ranked number one by... Uh, that organization, which isn't great. But anyways, their defense, according to this, is 18.8% better than the average team. So what did I do? Well, the Packers on average are scoring 17.11 points per game on average. If Dallas does 18.8% better than, than average against a team, which is what this is looking at, it's weighted based on how good teams are offensively, defensively, whatever. The Packers would score roughly 14 points in this game. So I did that because you have to do it four different times because there's four different combinations. There's looking at Dallas's offensive and defensive DVOA compared to the Packers' offensive and defensive production. Then you've got the Packers' DVOA, where we rank with these things, compared to Dallas's offensive and defensive production. And so you end up with two different score predictions. If you look at Dallas's DVOA compared to our offensive and defensive score production, the score would end up Dallas winning 23-14. to 14. If you look at it based on um, the Packers' DVOA, 
compared to Dallas's offensive and defensive pre, uh, production. The score is 17 to 23. They're nearly identical. Dallas, in both instances, scores 23 points, and it's a field goal difference for the Packers, 14 to 17. It is also interesting that if you look at the 17 to 23, what is the point spread? It's exactly five points. So based on that, although it's extremely early and there's a lot of other factors and none of them are exactly in our favor, for example, the Dallas Cowboys just had a bye week, the Packers are injured, all of them tend to skew in the Dallas Cowboys' favor. But if you ask me today to give you a score prediction, 17 to 23 is staring me right in the face, but I'm also kind of leaning toward 14 23 just because I'm... (laughs) really pessimistic about the Packers. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm honestly looking at that going, oh, that's two touchdowns. I don't know, man. That's pushing it, especially if we're talking about this is the number one defense. I know we keep saying, like, oh, yeah, Washington is the worst defense in football. Then we go up against Dallas, and you say that's the worst defense in football. And we go up against Buffalo, and it's the best defense in football. Then we play Dallas, and it's the best. You know what? Stuff changes, man. I don't know what to tell you. It also depends what you're looking at. But I think that's sort of the starting point from where we're at right now. Roughly a 17-23 pack, which, which honestly, I mean, I, again, you got to kind of adjust in your mind the way that the NFL is these days with lower scoring games, which is super odd, but I'm still calling that a good performance from the defense if they do that. It's also sort of a jumping off point. And again, I know it's kind of unfair because we've got injuries and, and different things that kind of factor in. By the way, this is weighted DVOA that I use, so it is more re- we're not looking at week one as much as we are this most recent week. But still, it, it provides sort of a jumping off point. So if the score is 3-10, to 10, the defense did a great job, the offense did a garbage job. If it's 20-24, to 24, although it's hard to give the offense credit, I still look at it and say, hey, they, they, although they're not good, they still exceeded expectations. So this is sort of the 17-23, maybe 14-23, I guess you can take your pick, is sort of the baseline. For me, anyways, in terms of where I'm going to be looking when this game ends. Anyways, I want to end with something that's, uh, I don't know, going to annoy people. And, and I don't even want to call it a segment, because every time I do, I do it once or twice, and then I forget. However, it's, it's not even about me necessarily, although be, you know I do want to look at it. Um, if you listen to Packernet After Dark, it's very obvious that a large portion of the fan base has at least decided to start looking at the 2023 draft class. And so I want to just kind of start off with my very cursory thoughts, um, just because I also, like a lot of people, have decided to just start checking some of this stuff out. Number one, and I could be, I can have my mind changed, and I know this is not what anybody necessarily wants to hear, um, and a lot of people do disagree, and I, I hope they can change my mind on this, because if you have the opportunity, you know, that, that was always the biggest fear, is if Jordan Love's not it, what are we going to do? We're in a lot of trouble, because the odds of us getting a quarterback are really low. Well, I didn't realize we were going to have a potentially really high pick. Um, I know Jake Shavink, uh, who is a co-host on our Always Draft podcast, when I mentioned a, what did I say, top five, top three pick or whatever, he kind of alluded to Bryce Young being a great option. Personally, I don't like any of the quarterbacks. Um, if you're talking top five pick, you're talking elite, can't miss prospects, I don't like Stroud. I don't like Young. Uh, I I like Levis to a degree, but again, it's sort of a... Uh, I like him a, in a lot of ways that I really like Josiah DeGuara, as weird as that sounds, because he just seems to fit. He checks all the boxes, but not in any kind of a remarkable way. The scheme that they run looks 
correct. Um, the dude will stand in the pocket, which again is one of my biggest critiques of Rodgers this year. He gets happy feet. Yes, occasionally he will stand in the pocket and throw a pass. I've seen him throw while he gets hit, but but the point is, way too often when he sees somebody get beat, he panics. And um, so when I see Will Levis, who's a big dude, stand in and take a hit, I see him kind of distribute and go through his progressions. And again, very very Tom Brady esque in a way, statuesque in the pos- pocket, just stands there, finds the right guy, and throws it. The biggest issue with Levis, though, is that his accuracy is kind of garbage. And that's a big problem, especially when you try to go up to the pro level. I mean, that's, that's I don't know exactly what the first thing you're looking for is, but accuracy is, is, is a big one. And when you are standing in the pocket and you can find the right guy, but the throw is off, that's, I mean, you're killing drives, you're throwing picks. I mean, it, it's, it's devastating. So as of right now, those are the three quarterbacks I looked at. Nobody I was super excited about. Um, I think it was Bryce Young. I, I said, I, he reminds me, uh, I, he is identical to me of Aaron Rodgers in 2022. Maybe, maybe 2021 would be a better example. You say, how can you say that? He's killing it in college football. Well, okay, the problem is they are running the 2022 offense, except it's, it's Aaron Rodgers loaded with weapons. It's all short passes behind the line of scrimmage, occasionally throwing deep, but he hits about 50% of those. Once in a while, you get the highlight throw that looks great, and then the next throw is like, what the heck was that? I am not a fan of Bryce Young at all. I, I think he has, and I think this is similar with Stroud. as well. Maybe it's even Stroud that I was thinking of. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The, the point is, I, I, there, there's, there's not that thing where you turn it on and you look at it and go, oh, dang. For the record, 2024 quarterback Caleb Williams, I did turn it on for him when somebody had given me the suggestion that maybe we do a trade that gives us a 2024 first-round pick or something like that. And I was like, all right, so what would that look like if we don't have a quarter? And dude, Caleb's my guy. That's all I'm going to say. So there isn't anybody in the 2023 class that I've seen necessarily. There might be some guys further down the line that just haven't really popped up yet. Um, Anthony Richardson, I know, has a cannon. That's about all I know. I don't know anything about Hendon Hooker, Tanner McKee, Jaron Hall. I do know I don't like Tyler Van Dyke, but that's a whole other thing. Kind of unfair, but... I've got to dig my heels on it now. It's it's just one of those things. So there's a lot of guys that maybe are going to kind of spike. But as of right now, I'm not a huge fan of any of those guys. And if we are up early, don't get me wrong, I'll get hyped for Bryce. I'll get hyped for Stroud. I'll, I'll figure out a way to get excited about it. But that is not, as of right now, my personal desire. I also watched Will Anderson, who is the currently highest rated non-quarterback. Stroud is number one, Young is number two, Will Anderson is number three. I like Will. He's obviously a a wrecking ball. The biggest issue I have with Will Anderson is he really, really, really struggles with tackling. And that makes me kind of nervous. You know, I mean, it's a pretty big component for a guy that's going to take a step, in my opinion. Because you're talking about his his speed and and a little bit of his power and all that stuff combined, but you're going to lose some of that when you go to the next level. And if guys are just breaking arm tackles against you left and right, I'm worried about you possibly not having a big enough jump to be a dominant player in the NFL. You probably will be, but it just, it just makes me really nervous that college football players are just running right through you. We're also seeing too much of that, for example, with Rashawn. And I, you know, again, Rashawn is, is killing it right now. He usually is a better tackler, but he's been having issues 
especially with it's not even so much a tackling thing as it is like taking bad angles and not setting the edge or whatever. But it just that that is to me a red flag that makes me nervous. Uh, Bijan Robinson, I told you I watched. That is, and, and again, I I don't know that we can or should or whatever take a running back if we're kind of in the mid first. All I know, and this is the way I play fantasy football too. So this is just the way that I'm wired, and it's probably not quite right. But when the Packers say best player available, I believe it and I mean it, and and I'm not as position uh, sensitive as the Packers are. I will take an elite, can't miss running back over a you know sixty percent real good tackle or something, or you know forty percent quarterback that's going to hit. Bijan is just that guy that as soon as you watch him, you look at him and go, yeah, this guy's a freak. He was just that guy instantly. Just, just the point is, I want a guy. If you have this opportunity, and and you know, it depends what we're talking about. If it's a top five pick, we're not going running back. I'm just saying, you know, if it's nine or something, maybe. I want to find a guy that just you you watch it and say, I haven't seen that. And and with with Bijan, I watched it and said, I haven't seen that since McCaffrey. The cuts that he was making, it's not exactly like McCaffrey, but the last time I watched and said, oh my goodness, like that, in similar ways when you're talking about his ability to cut, it was, it was McCaffrey was kind of the last time that I remember seeing something like that. Um, I did watch a little bit of Jordan Addison um, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, very similar to the quarterbacks. I'm just not massively jacked about them. Um, again. I'm I'm fine at any point in time taking a great wide receiver. But if we're talking real early, if we're talking top 10 pick, you had better check every box and have that wow factor. And I just didn't necessarily see that. Now, again, I haven't watched 500 different games, I or, or even three for that matter. Two is probably the most that I watched for anybody. But I just couldn't quite get over that hump of like, yeah, it's fine, but it's fine in the same way that Bottom line is, if you would have told me Jordan Addison was a second-round pick, I would have watched him and been like, dang, he's pretty good. That's a great second-round pick. But if you're telling me he's a top-10 pick, I just don't see why. So I will be doing more, especially on the wide receivers, because I haven't watched them a ton. Uh, Will Anderson, I want to kind of... Because Will Anderson was mostly positive from what I saw, but I had heard that he had tackling issues. I went back and looked at his statistics, and they are brutally bad. Like, really, really bad. Also want to watch Jalen Carter and Miles Murphy, defensive tackle and edge rusher. Jalen, uh, obviously we had last year two really good Georgia defensive linemen that went in the draft. And uh, Carter was, since day one, they said Jalen was was the better of the three. And so I'll be really interested to follow up with him. Miles Murphy's been up here for a while. You also got Brian uh, Breezy, a defensive lineman out of Clemson, just like Miles Murphy. And Kelly Keeley Ringo, cornerback out of Georgia. Peter Skaronsky, offensive tackle, is number nine currently. So it's stacked in a way that you kind of like it, right? Partly because there's not too many positions you look at and go, eh, we don't need that. But quarterback, yes. Edge, I mean, it's not a massive need, but you certainly are not going to turn it down. Defensive line, no question about it in a billion years. Corner is a little bit iffy. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that. Um, Offensive tackle, I mean, you know, you could say we got guys and that's fine, but I, I wouldn't pass on it. If again, it's if it if it's in your opinion, because there is no such thing as a can't miss, but in your opinion, if this is as can't miss as you as you can find, Peter Skaronsky offensive tackle out of Northwestern, pull the trigger. Right? 
We'll figure out what to do with Yash and Zach Tom and Elton. You know, I, I, I just always pull the trigger. Don't get too worried about, well, we already got this or that or the other thing. Um, then we got the wide receivers. You got cornerback Joey Porter, Bijan Robinson at 13. Again, I'm all in, but I think we're going to be picking too early for that to make sense. Wide receiver Quinton Johnson, I have not watched. Michael Mayer, the tight end, I just, I can't 100% get into. I've never really, I mean, I like him. No question about it. But I like him in, in the same way that I liked, you know, like Hawkinson. And even when I watched Hawkinson, I thought, eh. I mean, yeah, he's he's big and he's physical and and I mean he's got he's got some good hands and he's got a heck of a range and all this stuff, but I I don't know. I struggle because it's hard to find that gap. You know, I mean it just to be a first round tight end is is tough. Usually really, really good tight ends are like second round. If you're talking about early first round, I just, I don't know, man. I, I struggle to see what, um, what makes you that much better. And again, usually it just doesn't pan out. I mean, Noah Fant was in that same draft class, I think, with Hawkinson. I think I preferred Fant over Hawkinson. Maybe that's, maybe that's backwards, actually, because I know I didn't really care for either. I think, man, I don't know. It, it doesn't matter, because neither of them has really lived up to the billing. Right, Eric Ebron, another Detroit Lions failure, taking him in the top ten. Possible was it top five ish? It was it was brutal. It was early, and that dude is not good. And Ebron, I was I was a big fan of. So I don't know. I I, I like Michael Mayer. I don't know that it's going to pay off to take him at that point. Then you got uh, at sixteen cornerback Cam Smith, Paris Johnson, offensive tackle out of Ohio State, uh, Isaiah Foskey, edge rusher out of Notre Dame, Kayshawn Boot wide receiver LSU. I'm sure I'm butchering all these names. Again, I'm just getting started. Tyree Wilson, defensive lineman out of Texas Tech. Nolan Smith, another Georgia edge rusher. Trenton Simpson, linebacker out of Clemson. A lot of Clemson in Georgia. Antonio Johnson, Texas A&M safety. Definitely worth looking at, although again, probably picking a little early for this. And then uh, on and on. Jameer Gibbs is another running back that's worth looking at um, in terms of being super, super talented. And that's also where you get into the conversation of, let's say you're picking at 12. If you could get uh, Bijan at 12 or Jameer Gibbs on the, you know, maybe, I don't know if you can get him in the early-ish, mid-ish second round, but let's just say you could. I don't know that it's super debatable that Gibbs would be the better value. So again, that's just kind of where I stand. I'm, I'm not infatuated with anybody but Bijan right now. And I just don't think that that's going to pair up. I, I personally, first of all, I think we're going to be picking too early for Bijan. And second of all, I just don't think we would ever do that, take a running back that early. Um, I know we took one in the second round already, so who's to say? But considering we have A.J. Dillon, I don't know if we would throw Bijan in the mix. But tell you what, man, figure out the quarterback situation, go get a stud running back, it'll be all right. But I'm going to leave it at that for now. i got to go back and watch some of these things so I have something to talk about for tomorrow. But you guys have a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.